Guitars are out, folks. We're plugging in today with Dave Hill, one of my favorite Los Angeles guitar senseis. And it's brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine. Guitar Player. GuitarPlayer.com. Play better. Sound better. Guitar is plays rock he plays jazz he messes with everything and he is a fountain of knowledge and you're hearing one of his tracks right now this is called soul twister super tasty dave hill pleasure to know him and i love all the stuff that we get into when we get out these guitars and just start trading licks guitar hangs are where it's at man when what was your first guitar hang i think i remember maybe when I was like 11 years old at Casadero Music Camp and me and my buddy were jamming on Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar and we had these amps cranked up. It was so great. The whole camp had to hear it and we played that shit for like 45 minutes. But this is a next level guitar hang many years later and we get into so much stuff. Dave, man. Okay, quick overview because there's a lot to this thing. I kind of want you to know where it's headed. We start off with some Robin Ford stuff then we get into some cool pentatonic approaches then a George Benson maneuver, you got to know. Then maybe some patterns, like geometrical patterns. Some Mike Stern stuff, Michael Brecker, a Matheny move. And also, of course, I get Dave's life story again, or at least how he got into music. Interesting cat, man, Dave. I got to know him because he's one of the top instructors at Musicians Institute. And there's always this picture on the wall there of Eddie Van Halen and Alan Holdsworth, Jeff Berlin, and Gary Husband jamming poster. You know, you see that thing for years and it just becomes part of the backdrop of, of your life when, you know, when I used to work there. Suddenly, Dave starts talking about the moment he was there. It was like the early 80s in that room when they were playing. And then get this. He's like, man, I have a cassette recording of that jam. I'm like, oh, really? And God bless organized people. Dave's like, yeah, I think it's in a box, right? Like he knew exactly where it was. Within two hours after our interview, he sent me the audio. So it's a little scratchy, but what a huge bonus. You're gonna hear this vintage, awesome jam with Alan Holdsworth and Eddie Van Halen. So it's, it, when you hear the clip, it'll start off with Eddie taking a solo, then it'll go into Holdsworth. And then I think Eddie does kind of like a version of Spanish fly eruption that follows just to a room of like 30 people or so, or I don't know how many people were there, but classic stuff. Like I said, I love a good guitar hang. And of course, Dave has his own solo career. Here's a song that he did with Frank Gambali. It's actually a recreation of one of Frank's tunes because Dave and Frank go way back and it's under Dave's name, but it has Frank as a guest, even though Frank wrote it. It's called Nunzio's Near, and this is actually a preview rough mix Album's not even mixed or released yet, but here's a treat for you. So yeah, on this one, Dave is on the other side of the matrix. We're using Zoom, the uh, platform, which uh, if you're a guitar player, you start to build your chops up on how to use it effectively he's just going through logic and he's got his evil twin vendor twin with the lead channel in the other room 
and he's playing an American Standard Fender Telecaster. I'm just here in my home studio playing a Music Man Sabre into a Boss Katana. This is one of those episodes, I promise you, you're going to really enjoy it if you just listen to it. And then if you don't have a guitar on, well, you're probably going to want to listen to it again with a guitar on later because you're going to be wanting to try some of these things. Some of them are more advanced than others, depending on where your knowledge is. Some of them are straightforward. If you have any questions, message me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Jude underscore gold. Jude gold. Yours truly. All right. Please enjoy. And once more, a quick shout out to uh, Ernie Ball Music Man for their VP Junior 2-in-1 volume and tuner pedal. It's a very cool thing. Check it out at ernieball.com. I really appreciate them sponsoring the Slash episode and the Lyle Workman episode last week. Wasn't that great? I felt like I went to Abbey Road and tracked an orchestra and just learned how to be a film composer. Lyle is so talented and badass and now we're buddies and he sends me the most hilarious quarantine memes. I hope you guys are all doing great with this. Okay, let's beam ourselves over to Dave's cool backyard studio. Should we all be so lucky to be in lockdown, putting our rock down in a cool guitar cave like our friend Dave? But as you know, I hope you are all doing well with this surreal crisis we are enduring. Let the guitar therapy begin. When the interview opens, we are listening to a cool jam that Dave has just thrown down one day earlier in his home studio, playing all the instruments himself, including trap drum kit in his room there, all mic'd up. That's what we're doing, folks, and uh, it's a rough mix. Dave was nice enough to send it right over, and then we're talking about it. All right, let's go. No guitar is safe. So I hear what you're doing. You just sent me this track last night, and I think you said you played all the instruments, including the drum set. I'm looking at your studio. It's beautiful. This room you have here, it's like you got, you even have a couch, and you got a drum set, and you're sitting here recording like Prince, putting down all the instruments. Do you have a name for this song? Uh, you know what? The working title is just simply Quarantine Jam. I know that's a little, <laughs> I know that's a little lame, but... But uh, for, for lack of a better title. And actually, you want, you want to know something funny? Um, I... I I've been thinking about doing this for a while because, you know, I've always been kind of a closet drummer anyway, and I've always had a drum set in my studio because I record here. But I thought, you know, I'll do something one day where I'll just do everything myself just to see if I can do it. So I just literally sat down on the piano and started playing in, you know, an easy key for me, G, and I just started banging out a little riff. And inside of 20 minutes, I had like three little sections uh, that I'd figured out on the piano. I didn't write, really write this on the guitar. And it wasn't anything like super deep or anything but it was just kind of a basic tempo that i knew i could play drums to that was the, that was the yeah. goal could i play a groove to my my part <laughs> yes. as long as i could play a groove to it then i would write a song around my drum limitations hey man you're such a tasty cat man and i hear your influence is coming through and uh, i love coming to you for advice on that place where rock expands into fusion and jazz and oh, this yeah you. and like you said this whole zoom thing is a real trip mm -hmm. because like bam 
because like you, I can hear your guitar straight through your rig. Can I hear your guitar for a second? Play us a little something there, Dave yes. Hill. Let's check it out. Uh. That's beautiful. That's kind of an excerpt from a solo piece on my last record called All the Times. I'm doing my little part in, in staying out of the house and not driving my wife insane. But uh, well, that's know. that's the key to having a separate studio. Yes, a detached from your house is get some separation. Absolutely, yes. Got to keep them separated. What's that song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Hey, man. So I would love to get your uh, story of, of when you started playing guitar and stuff, and and how you evolved your style. Okay. And you built your career, but maybe first we could just jump in with some cool techniques because you play so much stuff and are so such a deep well, man, of, well. of of shit that you do on the guitar and on all the genres you play. Maybe I was thinking we could start with some of those outside techniques. I remember I wrote this article about you. Uh-huh. Dave Hill shares the right way to play wrong notes. Yes. And I like that. Like we know we can always be in one key. Mm-hmm. How do you make how do you make that note work? What? You're on A minor, right? Yeah. I know that's funny that you would yeah. grab that note. That's the first note that really sounds the the worst on any chord. And it's hard to justify that. I'm glad that you brought that up. The flat nine over the any chord, whether it's a dominant or major or minor, yeah. it just sounds wrong. And that's usually yeah. what what I I try to talk about um, when I'm talking about playing in and out over the chord. Uh, let's go to C actually for a minute. Sure. C, C dominant because I usually you start off with a minor or a dominant chord because those chords have the most amount of what's the word? Uh, they can kind of hold up on an inside outside sort of relationship and still work because they they have consonant sounds but they're also active at the same time. So so check this out. Jude, I, I, I want you to hear this little C7 groove here. Can you hear that over your end? Yeah. Can it? Does it sound like it's direct? Yeah. So check it out. So here's where we start. We start with the pentatonic, right? That's where most, most people live in this kind of a groove. Maybe they add some of the extra notes of the scale. That would be called C mix, all right? When you start adding minor and mixer together, you get these kind of notes. There's the flat five. Okay, so those are all the notes we're familiar with, right? Now listen to some of these other notes that start to come in. Mm-hmm. 
I do with that really is actually pretty interesting. I learned that. Uh, you asked about my influences, I think, and I, I kind of jumped in here. Yeah. yeah. But I learned that kind of an idea from one of my favorite guitar players, Robin Ford, right? Right. And uh, maybe you, you recognize that some of that vocabulary. And, you know, he's not the first person of, that played that kind of a thing, but it, for, for some reason, because he was coming from a blues... Uh, background it just sort of appealed yeah. to me because it just made sense to me the way he would fuse it in there but really all that is if you if you play a c7 chord you'll hear how it fits just play a c dominant chord here's c mix up are you playing a chord right now jude i can't hear it yeah okay yeah okay now here's the scale here's the dominant diminished scale it's a half step whole step symmetrical scale Isn't that cool? Yeah, and if anyone has never played that scale, it's literally, you start on C, and then you just go up a half step, and then a whole step, a half step, whole step, so people might call it the half whole. Really simple scale to memorize. Yeah. And interesting about that, it's really not as out as you think, because really, it has the incomplete notes of a dominant chord, plus the 13. Right? The notes that are yeah. the out ones are the flat nine. Of course, we were talking about that. The sharp nine, which is pretty pretty standard. And then it's got also the sharp 11. Yeah. But when you, but the, yeah. what, the reason it sounds kind of weird is because it's got a, a symmetrical sound to it, right? Oh, it's great. Right? That's kind of, that's not, uh, a, you don't hear that sort of sound in any major scale mode. That's great. So if you want an instant way to, and I use this word outside, but really, is there such thing as outside? I mean, by outside, we mean notes that are outside of the parent scale. So mm -hmm. we can use that term, but it's kind of a, a, a debatable term because it sounds beautiful. So mm -hmm. you're inside a new harmony, really. But yeah, that's a great gateway. Whole half scale is fun for shredding, too. Sure. Like, yeah. what, was, like what was it? Yeah. Yeah. Of <laughs> you course. can just blaze down the scale and. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I love what you're talking about with Robin Ford, and, and he was, he was talking. He talks about how it's so symmetrical. So you take any lick on that scale, like, right, and then you move it up a minor third because it's symmetrical. And you don't have to even change the fingering. You can just move your hand up a minor third. Yeah, you're literally playing the same fingering. Yeah, it's so cool. I love I love messing around with that. I mean, and it works. Yeah. It works in a variety of situations. It works over a static dominant chord, like I was just playing. It works over a blues where you have one chord to another chord moving, like let's say the one chord in this case up to the four chord, right? Or yeah. it works over like a, a two five one, which you know I don't know the diverse range of uh, theory people that tune into your podcast, but a two five one simply means the two chord in a major key to the five chord of a major key to the one chord. And it, the five chord is the is the, is yeah. the functioning dominant chord. So yeah. you can put it over that chord and it sounds great because it's giving you like a resolution that's really hip, yeah. you know? Now, now let's start even simpler. And I mean, I think that's a great lead in mm -hmm. to the alternate, alter dominant scale, mm -hmm. which is another thing. But before we get to that one, Maybe we can get there later. Let's start off even more bonehead simple. Okay. You can take a pentatonic scale, right? I've, you like right. to move it around sometimes. Like if you're just in, right. say, C minor or something. Right. Okay. Like if you're a C minor. In fact, go, to, go back to A minor again if you could. 
right? You can hear that all right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll turn it down if it's a little bit loud for you. more than pentatonic obviously i was messing around damn no you're such a great player dave now check it out but it was more you threw in some extra notes but i definitely heard you going like you start off we all start off in everyone's favorite grip the fifth position pentatonic i heard you jump up a whole step wait yeah because you know what it is that that is literally just b minor pentatonic which really yeah. Play, when yeah. you play B minor pentatonic, it's really in the key anyway. It's it's just yeah. the extensions of the key. It's kind of like a little bit of a Dor- B of a A Dorian vibe because yeah. you get that F sharp. Yeah. So if and you, then yeah, go ahead. I saw you. I saw you do a little bit of this too, where you like literally just move it up a half step, where it's all messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I remember totally Jimmy wrong. Herring. Jimmy Herring. So I love yeah. that. So he's like. Well, that yeah, that one. If to just for the record, you're starting on the fifth string of the pentatonic, and then and then move up a half step, slide that finger up a half step, and then back a half step. That's cool. And then up a half step again. Yeah. And then resolve on the th- yeah. So yeah. I love talking to trading licks like this. Yeah. Dig that. So, um, and then I saw that you jumped up to the 12th fret with the pentonic scale. Yeah. You know what? I was thinking about um, what I was working on last time. You can take like the pentatonic that. Like you can take E minor, <laughs> E minor pentatonic. And then slide that down a half step, right? E minor pentatonic is just G major pentatonic. Right? I love that little move you did it. Right? So you're 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 using a parent pentatonic, but you're using that as an outside sound too. Sorry, did I too yeah. far away there? It's all gravy. <laughs> play play A minor again so I can hear that. Right, playing a sequence. Right, and back into it, resolving inside yeah. the next pattern. 
I'm still not quite sure what you did in that. I heard it with my ears, but you were obviously doing A minor pentatonic, and then what was the no. other pentatonic? No, I was doing E minor pentatonic. E oh. minor pen. Which you can... Right. And then, and then I, like, like Jimmy was doing... Yeah. I think I changed it, actually. Play that A minor chord again. Right. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I mean... That's cool. So yeah, like the E minor pentatonic is in the key of A minor, even though it's a different group of pentatonic notes, like different five notes sure. slightly. But then you went to like, it looks like B flat right. pentatonic scale. So you're going back for That's cool. It's like, these are like cool little moves. They're like when a skateboarder does a cool little trick and jumps a mm-hmm. curb. It's like a, the way you jump between the two is very cool. Now there's another jumping thing that I've seen you do or that we talked about before okay. that you said that you kind of got from George Benson. Oh yeah. Where he would play a, a line or maybe a phrase, and then jump it up a tritone and play the same dang phrase, and then jump it back up again and play it back in the root another octave or, or something like that. Do I have that I right? What, I know what you're talking about exactly. All right. right. That's just literally so, just a C major. Slow that down. This is A minor, right? Yes, but check it out. I'm playing a C major seventh arpeggio. I mean, more or less. I mean, if it was just like an A Dorian yeah. lick, he would do. It yeah. would be like a C major seven. And you're starting with the you're starting with the second finger on the eighth fret of the low string. Correct. And then I walk into the F sharp, which would be like start, you oh. know, like you're starting to sound like you're just playing a Dorian yeah. song. That could just be straight Dorian, right? But what I do there, or what he did, is instead of going and then staying in the scale, he went. went into F sharp major seven. Yeah. That was that F sharp that was it would have been the sixth of A minor is now the root of F sharp major seven and not in the yeah. key, you know? Yeah. And then it resolves another tritone back in the key. Right? And you can get out of it any way you want. Yeah. You can go out back into it right there. <laughs> or you can go Right? Okay. Now why is that legal? That should be illegal, but it works. You know that's that's an interesting uh point uh that you're breaking. The reason Play it that- again? Play it again over the A minor. Okay. Let's do it again. Okay, so here's my theory on that. I think it works because the ear um recognizes the difference between random weird uh, notes or it, it sort of discredits like the sounds of wrong notes in a random way that doesn't make sense to the ear and it recognizes on the other hand wrong notes in a pattern and it d- detects a pattern even if it sounds weird they it sounds more logical to the ear right and that's yeah. why I think that that's why this sounds good and then when you play it up, you already heard the idea, but it still sounds like it makes sense because it's a yeah. pattern and it's it's conforming to, an like a set of intervals. I mean, what you uh, yeah, it would that, be weird if now you you added that little passing tone to right. keep it in time so that it starts again on beat one. What if you took that out? That would be weird. Huh? Yeah, it would kind of offset like a, the timing. Like of it. over over a four four. You're saying like this. 
That's cool. Yeah. Take one note and then it's not so even sounding. Yeah, but meanwhile, the drums are doing... They're in yeah, four. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the, your thing just keeps cycling in, in a trippy way. But anyway, you can geek out on all this stuff. Another thing that you did that I think was really fun that people enjoy, a What's cool that? gateway into, into quote-unquote outside notes is is just simple geometric patterns. I think you were talking about... Like, there's a famous one that... this What was his name in Guitar Player? He used to write about him. Like that's literally just diagonal lines going down the fret across the river. Yeah, I don't know who that was, but did I write about that or did you write about? It? I'm not sure what you. Well, meant. I mean, I mean, it's a topic that has been addressed by people okay. who push rock guitar into jazz directions and outside directions, and and got it, um, got it. and maybe uh, uh, Jul- Larry Coryell kind of stuff. Going, I, I feel it. like it goes back to the '70s and stuff, and before mm. then. But what are some geometrical patterns that that you like to do? Okay, so interesting that you would also talk about that. Um, along with the lines with pentatonic, getting back to that. Everybody probably messes around with, with uh, shapes in pentatonic because they're so familiar to your fingers, right? So this is one that you probably have played or some students have played or, you know, it's just fourth in pentatonic. Right? I mean, you know, yeah. fourth except for where there's a, th- there's a third that happens. There's those boxes. So how many people ever think about going out of the shape? Right? So you can take any yeah. one of those fourths. And just go out of the shape, in, but still keep it fourth. So essentially it sounds like this. Right? Play, play a chord again, yeah. dude. It's interesting. You can do minor thirds really easily, uh, quickly too. Right? Fourths and minor thirds. And then back in. Is that what you mean? Kind of shapes? That's, that's That's an interval, I guess. That's the way I would describe that. Rather than a shape. But to me, an interval is a shape in its own way, right? Yeah, I didn't quite follow the minor third part. Okay. Check it out. You go, you go, you go fourth, right? And right here, okay. Right from this point, right here, you're doing a, a major third, really within the chord. Yeah. So now, now you just take the thirds, the 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 interval, and you just keep doing that in the diatonic interval of a fourth. This is now moving. Yeah. In minor thirds, even though this was a major third here, but now you're back. You went down actually, down to B flat, and then you went in minor thirds. I'm sorry. You hear that? There's there's the minor thirds yeah. going, and then you're back in. So you can kind of start in, and then you start to go out. And really, if you're on an A minor chord, you end up hitting right. a C sharp. Just not normally the right note, of yeah. course. I mean, 
it's definitely you're not going to use it on your down home blues gig in uh, South, <laughs> South Central without getting some weird looks. But it's oh, kind of yeah. cool. Fired. Yeah. You'd just be Outta fired here. for that. That's my my friend Diz's joke. Fired. Fired. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you had also mentioned that Mike Stern is the inspiration for some stuff and you, the way that he would tap into like McCoy Tyner and Michael Brecker. What are what are some of those kind of things? Uh, good. Good, good. McCoy Tyner influence or maybe the Brecker or well here's here's what I also like about what you can do with a minor chord Jude that's kind of cool to make it go seemingly in and out um, you can play the minor chord as if it's part of a, of a of a progression that's happening that's not really there like if you're on A minor I heard I've heard Mike Strun do this a lot Right here, it's almost like he's going like like take that. Okay, it sounds like he's going A minor seven, D seven, let's say G minor or G major. Okay, so but that's not what he's really playing. He's still playing. So you're saying it sounds kind of like he's superimposing a, a two five one A minor to D seven to G major over a static A minor groove. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to my ear. Yeah, that's interesting. And then he gets right back at, and it, so it sounds like there's emotion in there, but it's not really in the chord progression, right? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, because he's a guy who is so steeped in traditional bebop two five one lines, and he knows all that stuff inside out. But he's a perfect example because he's also played in the rock world and Absolutely, Miles yeah. Davis vamping on crazy <laughs> um, yeah. one chord grooves. So and you, it's only natural that he would throw that stuff. It's kind of like throwing weird colors at the wall. He, he's kind of like Gallagher. He's just taking a two-five-one and smashing it against the wall right. of a of a. It's static like the watermelon. It's the chord. watermelon con- concept, right? Where he throws the water, he, he hits it with the the, the, uh, the sledgehammer. Yeah. That's it. Um, but that's that's uh, so simple. I mean, it, obviously, it's not simple if you don't have that sort of vocabulary dialed in or you don't understand it. But I mean, essentially, you're just creating a a, an environment or a progression that's not being played, but you're playing it in your head and you're implying that with your lines. And it goes back, you know, well before Mike Stern, of course. I mean, I've been yeah. a big fan of Michael Brecker. And, you know, and I've listened to him enough and transcribed him enough to understand when I'm hearing him going out, I, I can kind of hear the logical progressions inside of what he's playing. It still sounds like it's tension, I guess you might say, against the chord, but at the same time, it sounds beautiful because there's a logic to it, right? And yeah, uh, it, it's uh, another way you can do it too, as long as we're talking about, it, you can also play as if you're going five to the chord. So like he okay. might be going like this. I'll turn it off, it's so late, this is too much here. So and he, even though you're just playing A minor, he's in his head. He's going. That's cool. Right, he's going. That's just still A minor, right? But he's thinking. Yeah. Okay, just for kicks, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold a dominant chord, maybe a sharp nine, and show me exactly what you were doing and how it sounds if 
person was to be playing a dominant chord underneath you. And what were some of those? You say you... Cool, so... I mean, you can make it longer or shorter yeah. depending upon how, how long you want to stay out. Now, right. correct me if I'm wrong, but what it seems like I'm hearing is, again, we're over this A minor groove. Mm -hmm. You're doing A minor licks, but you're also doing E altered dominant stuff over it. Precisely. Right? Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm pretending I've, you're going one and you're giving me this and I'm going... I'm playing that in the progression rather than the way we did yeah. it before where we were con we were thinking the, the A was going to another chord, to the, yeah. in this case, G major, or the previous example. And maybe for anyone out there who doesn't know what the alter dominant, I find it's kind of like of the main scales that are in use a lot of the time in popular music and mm -hmm. soul and jazz and funk, mm -hmm. it seems to me like the alter dominant is kind of the last frontier for students. Maybe the whole half scale that we started with mm -hmm. is the second to the last, you know, after they do their Dorian and they're diminished and they're right. Phrygian and all this stuff and, and their harmonic minor and their melodic minor, mm -hmm. we get to the altered dominant. What, what is the altered dominant scale? Like let's take in the key of E cause that's where we were. We were superimposing okay. E. So let's got it. So there's your E seven, uh, seven sharp nine. And what that in Jude is talking about here, what you're talking about, Jude. It's called a, it's the seventh mode of the melodic minor scale. If you guys don't know what the melodic minor right. scale, it's a it's a pretty cool scale that gives you a lot of extra yeah. extensions in colors that you might not you might play around with or yeah. hear, but you really don't know how to activate them. But all it is is a, to now me. Just I think to back it up a, for a second, um, just to back up for a second. What what you what you're saying is that by the seventh mode, the E altered dominant scale is the same exact seven notes as the F. Melodic minor scale. Here, let me keep, let me play F melodic minor so they hear the the sound of the scale to begin with. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you hear if you hear a minor major chord, it sounds like a perfect scale for it. Right. But now check it out. The seventh. If you start from the seventh degree of the scale, now you have this, and it works perfectly to activate those sounds that we were talking about. It gives you the flat nine, the, the, the flat nine and the sharp nine, the major third, the sharp yeah. five, and the flat five. It gives, basically gives you these notes and these notes, plus it gives you the sound of the chord, the root, the third, and the flat seven. So it really gives yeah. you the perfect either minor or major. to either relative, you know, relative yeah. chord there. And uh, it's just such a juicy scale. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, man. It took me a couple years to get my ears onto every note, but once you mm -hmm. start feeling those notes. Sure. You start to like, you, can you start to crave it. I mean, I kind of like the way that they sound when you bend... Yeah. I mean, 
it doesn't always it, it sounds jazzy to people that don't uh, yeah. have that background in their head. But to me, it doesn't have to always sound jazzy. I mean, if you think about it, when you play a pentatonic scale, like if you play E7, uh, if you just yeah. play A minor, I'm sorry, if you just play A minor yeah. pentatonic, play that E7 again, Jude. I mean, you're hearing some of the altered notes of the chord anyway. That the flat seven of A yep. minor is the sharp nine of the E chord, right? That yep. minor third of A is the sharp five. So in a way, you're you're used to hearing some of these notes. The notes that yeah. sound weirder, like we talked about earlier, is that note, the note that really yeah. makes you hear the tension. Yeah. And I don't think that you have to yeah. also play the major third really strongly so you can detect that it's an actual yeah. dominant chord. That G sharp has to be in there. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking well, about that, it, five yeah, that's what makes it cool is you're playing the E ultra dominant over the A, and the E ultra dominant skips the root A. That's what really gives it a distinct sound too, right? You got the like you yeah. said, you got the you got the the sharp five, you got the sharp three, yeah. but you don't have the root A. Yeah, you're right. Good point. There's an A. Now, but yeah. you know what's kind of cool? The A ultra dominant over A minor. So you're like cruising in A minor. Okay. And like, I was doing this thing. Like that's a, that goes into A ultra dominant for a second. Oh, I see you're playing A minor yeah, and you're playing I'm, A, you're playing like B flat melodic minor, A altered, right? Exactly. I get it. Cool. Yeah. So I'm not even I'm not even messing with the dominant chord E. I'm just keeping it. I'm going from A minor to A alter dominant back to A minor. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're doing this. Right? Because that's really what you're exactly. creating. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All kinds of cool oh, ideas. I think what's what's really working here. Uh, for for uh, the kind of music that I I tend to write in what I listen to, I mean I listen to all kinds of music. To be honest, I mean I don't I don't don't just listen to out stuff. I love popular music as much as uh, anybody that's grown up in the era of Beatles and Stones and Led Zeppelin. But uh, I think what's going on is that it just to me when I got exposed to more advanced sort of sounds like the music like Steely Dan and Stevie Wonder and uh, the jazz elements that I was listening to from being kind of forced to listen to being in the high school jazz band, I understood that there was colors and and, uh, and extensions around chords. I didn't know what to call them. They just appealed to my ears, you know? And when I started yeah. getting, it's like you said, you're like crack or something to your ears. You start to understand what it's <laughs> what the effect of the notes are and those colors that some of the artists that I was listening to uh, were, were playing in their music, and I wanted to hear them in more than just a bluesy sort of a way, you know? And I once I started figuring out those players that were doing those things, I, I like, I want to discover that more. And then it's just, to me, it's just like tension and resolution. And all good music has elements of that, you know? Even the most inside classical yeah. music, I mean, Beethoven, Mozart, there was tension and resolution in that music. And uh, that's just the beauty of, of what we, oh, yeah. you know, of all great music. Um, well, yeah, that's the, that's the old joke that, Four horn players snuck out in the middle of the night and went underneath Mozart's window and played. The four of them played this chord, <laughs> and he had to run. The joke is he had to run all the way down the stairs, five flights, and go to the music room and resolve it on the piano. No, <laughs> right, right. So, that would drive yeah, tension nuts. and release is so simple, but it gets so complicated too. So 
Yeah, that's a good point. Let me add, let me add something else as far as we're talking about uh, tension and resolution. And this is one of the easiest things that I learned and yet so powerful. And I've heard this a lot in Pat Metheny. Okay, now check this out. It's a simple idea. You can probably see my hands. This idea of three notes in a row chromatically. Right? You can put those three notes, any, any, let's say we're still on A minor. You can basically start on any diatonic note of A minor and go up three notes and you'll hit another diatonic note. Except for the second degree because you'll hit the major third. But let's assume you can do it from the flat seven, from the root. You can do it from the minor third. From right. the fourth. From the fifth. Right? If you do it from the sixth, you hit the major seven. But now why is that important? Because check it out. You can do stuff, and I've heard, like I said, Matheny do this. Right. Right? There's in, you go up a half step, and now you do it again, but yeah. you go backwards. Right? Now, obviously, yeah. wrong note. Back in. Inside again. Yeah. Out again, and yeah. then let's say that's enough to your ear. Yeah. And then back in. Cool. Right? So anyone who's not seeing this, Dave is entirely on the high E string, starting with his first finger, just moving up one fret, doing it backwards. Yep. And, then, and then go moving up a half step and walking it back up. Yeah. Right? I, I, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. I should be more aware that we're doing this for a podcast because I'm looking at you and I'm, I'm thinking so visual now. But yeah, I should explain oh, no, things. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you're <laughs> so you so can much fun. just start it even just to get your ears or your feet wet. Just do the diatonic ones, like play A minor. There's nothing really outside other than the in between chromatic. Yeah, little passing tones. Right. It's kind of cool, and uh, it, that's just to me. It's just a shape, and it's just a. It's just. Well, I've got one for you. Go ahead, give it to me. Okay, this one's bonehead, but um, so the thing is, the thing is, it's just, it's. I don't know what that was, but yeah, <laughs> chromatic. It's the timing. So we're we're it's uh, triplet I like those groupings. Like, That's cool. If it was if it was just in four four, it would be. Again, I'm all on one string. Let me see if I get that. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, but okay. I'm doing it instead of fours. I'm doing it as which would be. Yeah, I see what you're uh, doing. You're, yeah. Triple 16. So you get one, two, three, four. Yeah. And you're this is kind of fun to, to do groupings. You're picking every note, right? That's what I was there, but I don't have to. I can be like, okay, check this out. Now I'm just, I'm hammering on the high note. So mm -hmm. I think I'm hammering on the high note. Yeah, badass. Anyway, badass I'm, man. I'm a. I'm a fake fusion player. You're the legit, <laughs> real deal. You know, I was thinking of a cool thing that What's Robin Ford has taught over the years. What's that? And I remember the first time I interviewed him, mm -hmm. we talked about it, which is, and some people know this, but where you harmonize 
the pentatonic scale. So we're in the key of A. Okay. You probably know this deal. You, you take the A. Let's play the A minor pentatonic scale. I'll tell you what. No, let's go to E. Okay. E minor pentatonic scale. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go down the scale. And the, the story goes, okay, background. The story goes that Robin was on the gig with Miles Davis and mm-hmm. the keyboard player, and he'd hear they'd given these one chord vamps and he'd hear these cool harmonies and, and he didn't quite know what what they were. And mm-hmm. one day at the bar at the hotel after the show, he's like, Yo, what what are, what are those chords you're you're mm-hmm. always doing or you do sometimes? And he showed him. And what it is is you take the pentatonic scale and we're gonna play mm-hmm. it all on one string. And I think you know this one. Sorry, start at E on the second string mm-hmm. up at the 17th fret. Mm-hmm. And just go down the string. Down the down right? the B string? Down the B string, the second string. Right. Now, but we're gonna each we're gonna harmonize each one of those notes two different ways. First we're gonna just do a little bar, so it's Oh, I know what you're doing with it now. I dig it. Yeah. And then you're gonna drop the bottom too, right? Yeah. Right. So we so yeah, when we're, you you can show us. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So you're gonna do then this. Yes. Right? Is that right? Well, that one that one I don't think is in the scale, but. Okay. Do do the one that you're talking. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So he would, he'd take each of those notes from the pentatonic scale and be like. So you got the bar at the seventeenth fret, right? Mm-hmm. Seventeen, seventeen, and up to the first note, and then lower the the those two strings to sixteen. 16 and but keep the other one at 17. Yep. So you got that. And yep. then you do that on every note of the scale. Yeah. So then he would hear those jams. I, I don't know what they would sound like, but they'd be kind of like Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I know and I I know that a lot of people out there might know this, but if you don't know it, it's such a cool addition to when you want to get some cool outside colors yeah i've told i've totally used that i've written i've written songs in that kind of a thing yeah because it, it, it creates it creates that kind of open stack uh of, and it's also resolving in its own way i mean that's a really yeah. good point because the the logic of that is that you hear this happening and your ear yeah. tracks that and goes oh well that makes sense and you don't mind that when these notes go down I mean, in this case, there are, there are extensions that sound okay, but the next yeah. one was this. Actually, was it that? Yeah. So these two are out, right? Yeah, that's and then my they favorite go, one. And then they go back in, right? But you don't, you know, because the top note is still in the key, you're kind of like, oh, it's okay, I don't mind. But then it resolves. And yeah. then this next one's totally in the key. And then color comes in. I love those little things. And then this is, this is sort of like, this is a half step above. And then... Right? There's this motion and this built-in resolution happening in it. Yeah, that's totally it. Yeah. In fact, I, I did I did a um, instructional video with Robin Ford called Blues and Beyond. Um, you was, did that? I worked on that, yeah. Um, mm. I was like off camera playing playing the chords and, and uh, you know, basically jamming with him because he was demonstrating all this cool stuff. And uh, it was great, yeah. And he talked about that specific thing. And uh, it yeah, was... That's- I've got so many extra. I've got so much outtake video that's of that great. of that video of that instructional thing. Well, that's a that's one that's one of the, you know, amongst guitar instrumental. I'm sorry, amongst guitar instructional videos. That's like one of the 
the Staples, Blues and Beyond, Robin Ford. I had no idea you worked on that. That's really? cool. I tell you what, there is so there is so I I I I've been opening up uh, because of the of the fact that I'm staying home a lot. I've been opening up a classical piano book in in the house because we got an acoustic piano there, and just going through some of the Bach inventions, the two part inventions uh-huh. on the on the piano. And I swear to God, that music to me does not sound like uh, old to me. It sounds so inspiring in terms of the the musical. Uh, harmon- harmonic uh, implications happening in just two voices. It is just, it's so ahead of its time. It's just, Bach, Bach still amazes me. And I've never been a classical, oh, yeah. I've never been a classical geek at all. I don't know, you know, I couldn't tell you other than the main, main three, you know, what I'm listening to, but I just find new inspiration from listening to classical music that I never thought there was uh, until I started looking at it on the piano and even on the guitar, of course. So, do you, are you playing that stuff or toying with it on the piano or the guitar? Those two. Parts? No, I'm, I'm, I'm go. I'm, you know, when I'm making dinner or something like that, I'll be burning something on the stove, and then I'll go in the room and I'll, oh, yeah. I've got a couple of piano books and I'll, I'll play Dude, them. I'm know. being forced it, to cook now, man. I know. I'm not going out. I'm, yeah, I, I could burn water. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I take turns by that. My problem with not cooking is that I'm always doing something else while I'm cooking. It's not that I can't cook. Yeah. It's just that I never focus on it. I'm always running back out to the studio to play one more guitar track or keyboard track. And then the, yeah. instead of the <laughs> oven turning off at, at a half an hour, it's burning for an hour. Dave yeah. Hill's in his studio working on a track, and he's like, what are all those sirens outside? <laughs> anyway, whatever. I'm going to keep working on this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, that's my story. All right. What's your favorite music joke? Dave. What's my favorite music joke? Jeez. Uh, I think, uh, what, what's the one that goes, uh, there was a, a guy that was driving down the street and he saw, he saw uh, an accordion on the side of the road and he saw like a stray dog. But <laughs> and it's, uh, did I mangle that? There's skid marks in front of the stray dog, but the, the accordion had been smashed to bits. I don't think I did that oh, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. How does it go? Um. <laughs> What's the what's the difference between okay? What's the difference between a rattlesnake in the middle of the road and an accordion in the middle of the road? Oh, there's I know. Skid, there's skid marks in front of the rattlesnake or something. That's right. That's what I'm something trying like to. That. I'm yeah. I'm so lame. I my favorite music joke of all time is are the ones that are true and the truest music joke that I, you know they have is something that is can only be applied to that instrument sure. that it is told about. Like, you can make the joke, like, how do you get the drummer off your porch? You pay him for the pizza. Well, you could make that about a guitar player Mm -hmm. or a bass player. But the one that fucking burns is how do you make a guitar player turn down? Of course. Put some sheet music in front of him or her. Right, right. That's it. (laughs) And, And I've lived that. I was, when I was 17, graduating from Berkeley High School, we had our concert at the greek theater and the guy didn't show up it was actually jubu smith he didn't he was a junior he was one year behind me and he was supposed to play in the jazz ensemble the greek theater up in berkeley there's a greek theater yeah oh okay yeah yeah it's just very similar because it's a big school so there's like Mm. twelve thousand family members watching the graduation cool the greek theater (laughs) cool and god i've never told the story so we're up there and then john as he's known jubu he didn't show up that day because he was a junior he's like i don't need to go to graduation and mm-hmm. so they said, you should play in the jazz ensemble. And I went up there, and they put this giant sheet, two music stands. <laughs> oh, God, I can see where this is going. You know, these, this <laughs> big band chart, right? Right, right. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I mean, I really had never played the tune before. You know, can, you know, you know there's lots of hits and stuff. And, 
and I'm just kind of strumming along, but I just, I like turn down my, my guitar all the way and I'm just kind of faking it, kind of pretending like I'm playing, but I'm just <laughs> petrified. What am I doing up here? I don't know where they are in the chart. I can't even read the stuff. The chords are coming oh too fast, God. coming too fast, man. I can't shake them. I can't shake them. That was a Star Wars reference. So- so was that is that your first time playing in that band ensemble? You'd never played in the group? No, I I'd been in messed around in the lab band at school and stuff, but no, I'd never I was not in the jazz jazz ensemble. I you know, I had oh. toyed around with it like maybe a year earlier, but but yeah, so the sound tech comes up to me in the middle of the show. We did two songs and he's like, "Is everything okay? Is your amp okay? We're not getting any signal out of you." This <laughs> guy and then his knee, I'm like, "Ah, oh, fuck, I'm busted." Oh god, you're but, saying, uh, oh, yeah, no, so perfect. Perfect. So that's my music joke story, man. I lived it. You haven't, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I literally lived that horrible guitar player joke. It's, but, it's, um, that's kind of cool, cool that you brought that up because honestly, Jude, uh, if it wasn't for my high school experience, uh, which I had three years of that, of that kind of thing, three years of a high school band, but we were pr- a pretty hip uh, jazz band, as you might say, right? You know, rhythm section plus full horn section. I got exposed to a lot more in that world of jazz because in in my my band director was pretty cool and he gave, he turned me on to Wes Montgomery and George Benson and Joe Pass and because you know I was just a guy playing Kiss tunes and Ted Nugent before I'd gotten in there. So where did you grow up? Seattle, Washington. Oh, what did your parents do? Oh, or... my mom was pretty much a stay at home um, a mother and my dad worked for Boeing Aerospace like a lot of people up in Seattle oh. did. He was like an aerospace engineer working for. A lot of government projects, and he actually, believe it or not, he was he was part of the Saturn V uh, rocket system that propelled the whole Saturn, uh, you know, race to the moon. That was the the jets and the the rockets that he worked on. He was part of that team. That was when we lived oh, down man. in Hunts, Huntsville, Alabama, for a while when I was younger than I would remember it. But uh, yeah, aerospace. That's amazing. That's amazing. But totally, totally, so- su- totally supportive of music. Uh, I couldn't ask. So have I, asked. how did you get into guitar? Why, how did you go from an aerospace family to going out and to getting into music? Uh, it was like compulsory kind of in our family to play an instrument of some sort. And they, we had a piano teacher that would come over to the house and teach all of us on the acoustic piano that was in the house once a week. And so I started on the piano and like most kids starting on the piano, reading the basic piano books, it was boring and I didn't like it. But at one point, I discovered there was an acoustic guitar laying in the corner of my dad's den, and I thought, well, what's this thing, you know? I got, I figured out it needed some strings, and we changed some strings, and then honestly, it was like third grade, my uh, my school teacher in third grade was offering after-school lessons, and we just, uh, a few of us that had guitars took advantage of it, and uh, I learned how to play, you know, C, A minor, F, and G, and and I just kind of banged around on it for for years, you know, just doing right. it like everybody else, you know. Now, don't tell us what it is, but just play me the first cool lick that you ever learned that you just loved and you played a billion times. Uh, let's see. Probably something like that. No, that's probably not it. You know what it was? Well, that, that's like a solo. What's a song a, riff? What's the first riff that you learned? the first thing I remember. Jude, can you tell me what this oh. is? That's like... Is that Rod Stewart? Exactly. Yeah, that was that was the yeah. first thing that I learned on a nylon string guitar because I thought, what is that thing that he's doing that's so soulful? And it was the solo from Maggie Mae. Right? 
So it'd be. Yeah, it was just that yeah. sliding thing. Whatever key it was in. But it was just that sliding yeah. thing that it was Ron Wood, I believe, right? But I think I, my first lick was this. Okay. I got gotcha. uh, you. Yeah. The riff that I actually <laughs> think I think I remember now that I think about it. Now, uh, what was that Ted, Ted Nugent? It was very similar. Boom. Bump. I think it was called Hey Baby. Yeah. Right? Oh, this is a this is a great riff that was on the radio e. when I was a kid, and it's still funky to this day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Chucky's That's in love. Such a great riff, man. Chucky's in love. Yeah, all those all those riffs are just those minor major third. Right? Yeah, there's so many, boy. If you had if you had a, a patent on the key of E on the guitar, we would be sitting here in a pile of money, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I loved all that stuff. I and then I, yeah. For me, it was like Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Where did you go from Ted Nugent in the Rod Stewart and Yeah? And okay. What, you know, I just banged on it. I played classical guitar when I first had lessons, and it was also kind of miserable. I I, I appreciated that I had a teacher that taught me how to read music and everything when I was, it was probably fifth grade by then. But, um, you know, I really it was just taking, it was just like something you did, you know, soccer, practice, baseball, guitar lessons on Saturday. It was, I was interested in it, but it wasn't like a flame yet that was ignited. I think it was in eighth grade, I think, uh, that I kind of auditioned for what was like the only band that had a possibility of playing the guitar in because I didn't play anything else. I didn't play, the, you know, saxophone or anything. So it was the stage band, and so I got, I joined the stage band, and I all I had, all I had to do was follow a chart to audition, and I knew enough about chords, basic chords, that I could kind of keep my place in a chart, but I had no idea what a major seventh was or anything like that. But I was able, to, and I was probably the only one auditioning, so I got the, you know, the gig, if you want to call it that. So that got me into the idea of playing uh, with, you know, an organized group of musicians with a band director and everything. And I could actually kind of read music a little bit by then in eighth grade. And that was a requirement. But um, yeah, I can totally relate to what you were talking about. Like the charts that had all those chords and the numbers after them, like it would be A minor 7, A minor 6, A minor ninth, major 7, you know, A minor 13. I would just do this. Yeah. And I thought, was the band director going to know I'm not really <laughs> playing anything else? And then it would D minor and it would be the same thing. And I would be like... Oh, yeah. But like, oh, God, I hope that's okay because oh, yeah. that's all I got. There'd be all these crazy codas and DCs and all this stuff. You're like, where are we? Or you'd see like four crazy chords in a, in a row and be like, later you realize, oh, that's just yeah, something yeah. real basic. But the way it looks when you're 17, it's like, oh, yeah. You they wrote process they, it. They wrote every voice, voice extension that was happening in the horn section. And uh, I didn't know half of those chords anyway, even if even if I could play them. But, but um, I love it. Yeah, it's so cool. But I mean, I really think that was that's missing. I'm I'm sorry to say, I think that's missing. That experience might be uh, 
decimated in, in public schools today. The idea that you can join, you can, that there's music support, there's music education in just regular public schools. I know. How incredible was that? I mean, yeah, to sit there and play in a big band. I mean, at your high school. What in, you're right. I, I, yeah, I was, I mean, that was, that was pretty much it. But I continued on for those two years, eighth and ninth grade, and check it out, by 10th grade, but the band director in the high school had already heard about me in some weird way. Like, I, I guess he was almost like recruiting me to join in the 10th grade year because my high school was 10, 11, and 12. And they needed another guitar player because their senior was graduating. So I started re- playing in the 10th grade year. I was like younger than everybody else, and I wasn't nearly as good as the rest of the you know, juniors and seniors. But I was reading music. I sort of had a couple arpeggios and scales, but I was a complete bullshitter. But because that band director, Hal Sherman was his name, was was active and really turned his students on to like listening and, and exposing them to music. And he, yeah, he turned me on to all those players I mentioned. Wes Montgomery and Joe Pass and and Weather Report and and Count Basie and man I started when I might I started listening to that stuff I I was mo- more open to other music and I uh, I still appreciated everything I was you know I was way into Led Zeppelin yeah. and Steely Dan and all those various groups but man I got into Joe Pass and I started learning how, some tack licks and everything and uh, that was really kind of how I got into the to the world that eventually I got into which was com- kind of combining the blues and the rock together because um, I, I appreciated b- both styles or a lot of varied styles a lot, you know, and that was kind of how it, it messed me up, you might say. Man, you are so fluid at, at blending the two, and it's really, really great. I know that you, uh, like you, at some point after high school, came out to L.A. to go to mm-hmm. GIT. Yep. And you must have then suddenly, you're, you might have been around maybe when Joe Pass was there or? You know, um, he interesting. He uh, I came to the M, to Musician Institute, but back then it was called GIT. It was kind of the last. It was the golden years, I guess you would say. We hadn't even developed into this big program that it is now. It was just guitar, bass, and drums. But Joe Pass actually hadn't started yet. Um, he didn't start, I think, till maybe after I graduated, maybe eighty five or eighty six. Pat right. Mar- Pat Martino, in fact, had just left because he'd had a brain aneurysm and he had to like. He basically rebooted his hard drive on his brain. And yeah. he was one of my favorite players too. I loved Pat Martino. So yes. uh but there was there was it was great. I mean it was, you know, Don Mock was there, Joe Diorio was there. We had an amazing um set, uh, like the clinicians and stuff that came through that year. I saw I have tape somewhere in my in my shed of like amazing artists. Like I said, Robin Ford, Lara Carlton, Steve Morris. You know, uh, there's a famous picture in the school that has Alan Holdsworth jamming with Eddie Van Halen, and that happened. Yes. That happened the year that I was at school. You want to hear? So you you watched that show? I was there. I was four feet away from that happening. You want to hear okay, this? Okay, was that was that downstairs in the concert hall? Well, back then, Jude, it was the build. It was the older building across the street. You probably never been into. It's on Hollywood Boulevard. It's above. It. It's above the Hollywood Wax Museum, right? Yeah. Um, so it was a way different, you know, setup. But but check it out. We we we. It was in a. It was in what would have been called P two performance two, and it was essentially uh, like the recording studio performance room, you know, kind of setup. It had a dual function, and it was pretty much where the the smaller concerts. But you know, if they were going to record it, they would record it there as opposed to performance hall one. So we were lining up outside the hallway like this was just another day of seeing a great clinic and we were hearing, you know, that 
Alan Holdsworth was going to be there, right? So, of course, everybody was lining up in advance to get a good seat in the performance hall. So I'm probably fifth in the, in the row. And uh, we didn't know anything about any special guest or anything. But suddenly, someone starts squishing through the hallway. It was a narrow hall- hallway. And they're smoking a cigarette and carrying a Heineken. And I'm going, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't look like anybody here I know. It's, and then I realize he's holding a guitar and he's pushing through. And I realize, holy shit, he just pushed by. That was Eddie Van Halen. He just pushed through the line and then went into the performance hall because they had, had the door shut. And he had to squeeze and go, oh, sorry, 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 guys. I, I got to go in. I got to go in. And then like, was that who I thought it was? And so like, you know. So half- you were there, man. Tell, that's amazing. So he walks up on stage. Tell me. And God bless Alan Holdsworth, man. But uh, tell me, how long of a show was it, and what did they play? Oh, it's it's funny. I got some stories about that. Well, he, I think he was going in to sit in, and and um, Eddie was at this point. I mean, Alan was already in there with Jeff Berlin and, and a drummer, I think, named Gary Husband. Um, but he was just going to stop in and sit in or something. So he was going to the sound check, I guess. But he wasn't there. When we first got, came in, We he wasn't there. He was somewhere backstage or something. So it's Alan and Jeff Berlin and, and the keyboard and a drummer. And they're playing this just amazing shit. It's just Alan's music. I didn't know what it was because I really hadn't listened to him at that point. I'd heard of him. But it was like music from, from Mars as far as I was concerned. You know, everything was like, you know, like chords like this, you know, going to, you know. Every single bar was a different harmonic minor, major, you know, melodic minor. But it was great. He was just so fluid and, and incredible. And so he played like a song or two, and then he says, "Okay, I'm gonna bring up one of my one of my good mates uh, to sit in with us and play some music with us." And suddenly, there's Eddie coming out from the side, holding that same guitar he just walked by, and you could tell wow. Eddie was just like he was, he didn't know, you know, he was just got wanting to be there and be part of it, and he plugged into a Roland Cube amp. You remember those little Cube amps? Like nothing yeah. heavy duty. And so they, they, I think they had like a little bit of distortion. Yeah, I don't even think he had a pedal. I think he just figured out how to make the amp overdrive. And so they start playing, you know, this kind of a. I think I have a recording of this too. I'd have to get this to you. We'll have to integrate that into the podcast. Dude, um, I definitely have please. it. Please, I got oh, it. I got to find it on a cassette, but I have it. You would be my hero. So they start vamping on the on one of the chords. It's like Eddie starts playing. It's like a sus thing, you know. Right, and Eddie starts just blowing, right? It's like a like a shuffle groove, and Eddie's like, oh, man, this is going to be great. Eddie's playing, yeah, right on. And then, then suddenly... Right, and, and and Alan's playing the melody on top of that. You can see Eddie just goes, whoa. It's, it's like that thing in your high school experience you just told me about. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly he got really quiet, and then he was like yeah. sm- bending notes and kind of smiling when he would hit a good note, and then he would stop, and then it would go back to... And then he would start wailing again because he could tell it was E. So he kind of chose the spots where he could sound good. But man, it's like, dude, it's like Killer Joe, man. I can blaze over that song until the bridge hits. Right. And, <laughs> and then it starts going. Yeah, and all those dominant chords. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was, I was fake that same part myself. But it was a lesson to me. And um, you know, everybody, everybody has their strengths. Everybody has their thing that they do well. And and just because you think someone's amazing doesn't mean. They don't have weaknesses and things that they don't do well, and someone else does, amaz- you know, like way better. And it's just because they have a different, you know, they have strengths and weaknesses, and they have different experiences. And I, and I, it kind of brought him down to like a human level. You know what I mean?
He loved Holdsworth so much. Van Halen or Zeppelin or ACDC or one of these big rock bands, it's always like, well, what's the best song? And they have so many great songs. But the other day, I was, I, you, and you don't even hear this on the radio that much, but somehow Girl Gone Bad was on the radio. And it just struck me, man. I was like, this is like kind of like Van Halen in peak form. It was, the pocket is so loose and it's so Holdsworthian, if I can use that word. Mm. It's like he. It's like almost like a love letter to Holdsworth that song, but oh. it's still completely rocking. And I was really touched by that. You know, I actually interviewed Holdsworth once at the concert hall. We did a free concert in like 2012. Okay, maybe 2011. Right with Carbon, which is now Kiesel. Right. They brought Holdsworth in for a free show on a Saturday. Really magical. Wow. And I wonder if I can find that little interview somewhere. I, I he, you know, he used to just hate certain like this chord. Yeah, he would hate he that. Huh? He like, just didn't. I was. I asked him afterwards, like, why do you hate that chord? And he was just like, that chord is just so insipid and, and vanilla, and there is no reason that chord should ever be played. Or <laughs> something. <laughs> the way he really detests that vanilla oh. major seven voicing. Oh, I bet. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I there was also along the lines of the REH videos that I did, the Robin Ford one we talked about earlier. Uh, Alan also did one of those same instructional videos, right? Oh. And Don, Don Mock was the director of all of those instru- instructional videos. Oh. Yeah, so he did, um, I was able to go and uh, watch the instructional, um, I mean, because Don was basically crashing at our house here in, the, in uh, North Hollywood. And so I would get a lot of extra work. Sometimes I'd play, I did almost all the uh, transcription of all these great instructional videos. But in oh, that particular really? night, yeah, in that particular night, he just said, come on. And watch the video because we're going to do this down in West L.A. I don't remember where it was. But anyway, it was Alan's band. And I think it was Jimmy Johnson on bass and Chad Wackerman on guitar. And it was like, you know, at an audio video studio. But anyway, Alan starts the opening. Maybe you, you can find this video and, and watch it. But he starts the opening of the video. And he's basically kind of like sitting there. Well, I'm Alan Holtworth. I guess you've bought this video. I really don't know why you'd be interested in learning anything that I have to say. <laughs> but I guess if you are, then uh, try to enjoy yourself. 
<laughs> he sounded like he was basically saying, this is all shit. You don't want to learn it anyway, but here it is. And I thought, wow. And then he would yeah, then he would play some shit and it would just be mind-blowing. And you would just go, what are you talking about? He was so self-deprecating, yeah. you know? He held himself to such a just insanely high standard. It was, yeah, it was tough, man. But when you know what the, the, the takeaway from that too, Jude, was that he had written some, um, he had some paperwork that he had kind of used to, uh, for examples in the video, and he had like these necks, these guitar necks, and they were written out like basically from the first, you know, the nut all the way up to like the seventeenth fret, and to him, like everything a, was a chord diagram. Yeah, it was just like dots. Everything to him. Here's the way I look at the neck, and he shows this diagram, and it looks like basically a bunch of dots. They were all over, scattered all over the neck. You go, this is the way I see the fretboard, <laughs> and and I go, well, you don't. What do you do? You see the cage system? Do you see chords? And he goes, well, I see. And he puts his hand in this enormous stretch, <laughs> and he's like, I see this, and then I see this is how I see this scale, and every not there yeah. was nothing like you were, nothing like that. He's know? like. I'm looking up at the sky at the Milky Way. I'm just going to play that on my fretboard right now. <laughs> yeah, that was it. He was not in any way traditional in anything coming from his background. Yeah. I don't know that much about where he started, but but it was that was it was cool. It was kind of uh, an insight into uh, you know how someone sounds yeah. so original, you know, with no it's yeah, seemingly think- no influences from the traditional blues rock sounds that we all kind of know, you know. Yeah, if any guitar player was ever from another world. It was Alan Holdsworth. Yeah. I mean, he just otherworldly. No, I mean, he, alien. Damn. <laughs> right. But, uh, just, uh, you know, those, I, I, don't, I don't have any. Um, I, was used, I used to probably be younger and snobbier about music that I thought was, you know, high quality or good or, you know, what was, you know, insipid, as Alan would say. I, I kind of feel like today, you know, it's, too, it's tough enough being a creative musician and just getting validation in any way because you know it's the arts are just not supported in the way they used to and the, and the, and the you know the, the way the internet has changed everything and what what gets you know, there's no record industry i'm just happy to hear anybody being creative and i try not to be judgmental about what's good and bad because i feel like if someone's doing something creative and they're being positive with that with what they're doing who am i to say that it's not good or bad you know, yeah. that's all you can do exactly. is just try to. And I, when I write music, I try not to worry about if people think it's going to be sucky or if it's going to sound, you know, too, you know, whatever, uh, commercial or it sounds too jazzy or it sounds too fusion. I just go, whatever. I hear what I hear and I like what I hear. And, you know, on another day, I'll write another song and it'll be something different. You know, just keep doing what you're doing now. You also have played as a sideman mm-hmm. in uh, several great acts. I had the pleasure of opening for at the Pacific Amphitheater, sold out, thirteen thousand people, great crowd. Maybe, I'm not sure, maybe it's like nine or ten thousand wow. in, in Orange County mm-hmm. for Three Dog Night, and I think they had two original members at that time. Yes, and those songs were so amazing. Did you play with Three Dog Night? I didn't. I didn't play with the Three Dogs. I played with one of the dogs. I played with Chuck yeah. Chuck Negron. Oh yeah, I love him. So he was probably the guy that wasn't on oh, in the act when you were playing, right? When you opened, it was probably yeah, yeah. it was probably Rick Corey Rick Z is playing with him now. Oh, with with uh, with um uh, Chuck Negron. Yeah, 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 I yeah. We are on the cruise ship, and uh, he was playing in oh, okay, John cool. Greathouse. Yeah, just, and yeah, yeah, that was that was a few years ago, and I think um, it was kind of an interesting time for him because uh, the, he had just gotten. 
um, sort of cleaned up after years and years of being kind of messed up, like everybody was probably in the 70s, you know. But for whatever whatever happened in Three Dog Night, the two guys, Donnie, Donnie, or Danny Hutton and Corey Wells weren't working with with Chuck anymore. So we were on this, like I would describe it as a, as a traveling cavalcade of one hit wonders, although Chuck was definitely bigger. And um, he was kind of, he, he, he was great. He still sang his ass off. We played it, you know, the tunes that he's associated with from those great albums. Um, but you could tell he was like, he was used to living large and being way more, you know, like, you know, having his own jet and, yeah. you know, and I think it was kind of, you know, it was probably a little bit of a step back for him. But it was cool. I mean, hanging out with him and hearing some of his stories and stuff, you know, that he was touring with, it was he was great. And I know that now he's he's cleaned up. He's been clean for many, many years. So good oh, for yeah. good for him, you know. Uh, you got to play some great songs like I know you won't leave me. No, that was a, that was a, But he he you didn't play that cuz he plays that now. Oh, really? He, That's a cover, I he guess. Plays, and he plays Shambhala. Yes. That, right. Shambhala is beautiful. Yes. That. Wash away my troubles, wash away my pain. That one. Yeah, keep going. You're on the road to Shambhala. Wash away my troubles, wash away my pain. We're on the road to Shambhala. But that was actually, I don't think that was, um, I don't think that was Chuck. I think that was Danny Hutton singing that one. What's the chorus? It's like, oh, 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 oh. That is such a great song, man. Thanks for playing it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, give us a solo. You're you're on stage right now. Guitar solo, D Mixolydian. That one? What we were just playing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of D. Yeah. Dude, you're such a great guitar player. Thank you. I man. love it when I love when you and Dan Gilbert hang out because you guys just yeah? talk and smack to each other. You know, like two <laughs> old friends, and I I just like to sit back and be a fly on the wall and like in the teachers' lounge or something oh, when I no. when I would teach there. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of characters that that have known each other for a lot of a lot of time there. That's what it comes. Yeah. You know, Alexis and uh, uh, well, Al Bonham. He's been there for a long time now. Yeah, it's 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 oh. a it's a fun hang, man. We missed you. You gotta you gotta walk in there and shed you shed your vibe in there again. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm still technically on staff. Uh, been touring quite a bit, although that's not happening. Hey, I got uh, I got to go back to when you just mentioned that. I did not ever really get a chance to see you play other than stuff at school a little bit and you know some classes. Yeah. But I saw you guys play at the Rose, um, whatever that was, you know, two months ago, and yeah. I was just like. I was digging it, man. I was just, I was sitting there with uh, my buddy Alexis and Al and some other friends. And with you were playing with Starship. And it was just, I forgot how many tunes that I knew from them. Some of those tunes I never even knew they were Starship. 
you know? Oh yeah. Like, well, thank you, man. I appreciate the nice words. And yeah, I'm the same. When I, when I first joined the band, I was sitting in as jamming with them mm-hmm. and I'm like, holy shit, I know this song. Like you're kind of playing from memory mm-hmm. and oh, I know that one. Oh, this one, that one. Miracles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That Rise was it. Tiger. Miracles. I didn't know that one. I didn't know that was, yeah. I thought that was like, you know, uh, one of those other guys from the seventies that I, I can't remember, uh, the dude, but, um, but yeah, it was just great. Yeah. But I just more than anything, I mean, you know, the, you know, everybody in that band is, is just spectacular. I mean, uh, that singer, I, I, I don't know his name, but uh, David Freiberg, eighty one years old. That guy was killing it, and and from what I understand, I think I, I figured out he wasn't the original singer in the band, right? He wasn't Mickey. He wasn't Mickey Thomas of that era. He was uh, he came along at some point. Yeah, he wasn't the original lead singer, but yeah, he'd sing on all the backups and play bass and keyboards, utility. Oh, and he, okay. And he wrote Jane. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that, and we do Jane in drop D, which I think sounds killer. Yeah, he he just sounded he just sounded on point like all night long. His voice was just great, and and yeah. the, and the, the woman that was doing it, uh, man, yeah, vocals we, were outstanding. And your guitar playing, Jude. I mean, tell it. <laughs> it was like really like all the perfect blend of like being shreddy at the right moments and just real solid rock. And then uh, you know that you covered a lot of bases, and. Interestingly enough, I was enjoying myself so much I didn't really even realize there was an actual bass player till about five songs into yeah. it. Yeah, because he does it so well. I'm like, oh, that's right. There's yeah. no bass player. But I it didn't. Uh, it wasn't lacking. It was just that I didn't even think about it. It was so good. Oh man, you're so kind. Thank you so much. Yeah, Chris kicks bass, and yeah, you can tell if a LA musician is enjoying themselves because they're there at the end of your two hour set. <laughs> If they stick around in the club for three fucking hours, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they clearly are enjoying themselves because everyone's got somewhere to go in LA. <laughs> it's great. Oh yeah, no. and yeah, Al Al Banam was playing in the opening band. Yeah, no, I was there from he, the beginning of the well, close to the beginning of their set, yeah. all the way to the end. But yeah, no, it was it was a it was a really solid music experience. I think I I, I recorded a few songs. I think I might have put one on Instagram when you were doing your rock rock moment uh, i can't remember the song but you had a big solo and you jumped up and just killed it it was great oh thanks and then al always has the has the little jokes like this this is al for you he'll be in front of the class he'll be like hey you guys want to hear the fastest lick in the world <laughs> and they're like yeah and, he, and this is what you plays any questions <laughs> like it was so fast you didn't even see it <laughs> couldn't even hear it. it's like warp speed yeah that's my al's al's got a million of them Dave, so much fun. I, I really enjoyed this, man. Keep it alive till you're 95, brother. And just this is the first time I've really got to play with you, ironically, not in person. But I, it's just been spectacular, man. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time and, and having us beam into your studio here. Well, this has been great, Jude. Thank you for asking me to do this. I feel honored to be part of the, uh, the Jude uh, Gold podcast. Um, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, this is the kind of thing uh, we should be doing all the time with all, all the guitar community. I'm sure this is, this whole quarantine thing is going to uh, initiate a lot of this kind of thing. So I'm glad to be part of it. The honor is all mine, brother. I swear to you. Thanks to you. Thanks to Zoom and thanks to Zoom. And by that, I mean, we're also thanking Zoom recorders because right now I'm tracking straight into the Zoom recorder and then I'll put the files together later. Thanks for, uh, setting this up. My pleasure. Uh, This has been really cool.